Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Today is Thursday, August 31st, 2017, and we are live. We're about to start broadcasting on Facebook Live also. All right, so we're on Facebook. How's everybody doing? Hey, welcome to the African History Network show. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Today is uh, Thursday, uh, August 31st, 2017. We're live tonight. This is Day 224 of the Donald Trump regime. I uh, don't think he's going to be there much longer. If you've been following the news reports in MSNBC and Politico and uh, Wall Street Journal, um, Washington Post, New York Times, I don't think he's going to be there much longer, to tell you the truth. All right, so we have a jam-packed show, a lot to cover uh, tonight, and I did... Uh, my segment on uh, Steve Hood's show this morning, uh, the morning show here in Detroit on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation. That was from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. this morning, so it's been a very, very busy day, okay? We're going to be joined by uh, Nataki Kamban um, at the bottom of the first hour. We'll talk about, um, uh, she's with New Business Solutions, and we'll talk about, um uh, the top five reasons uh, the most passionate African-American entrepreneurs still fail and the secret to success. The top five reasons the most passionate uh, African-American entrepreneurs still fail and the secret to success. OK. Um, and then also. OK, also uh, on tonight's show. We're going to deal with, uh, we'll talk uh, about Dick Gregory. We'll deal with that in the first segment. So, you know, we talked about Dick Gregory a couple weekends ago. He passed away um, Saturday, August 19th. 
legendary comedian Dick Gregory uh, passed away. He had a bacterial infection, okay? And we talked about him and his life here on the show. Well, a lot of people don't know uh, that in 1968, when he ran for president as a write-in candidate, um, on the campaign trail, he talked about J. Edgar Hoover, uh, FBI director at the time. He also talked about President uh, Lyndon Johnson. And J. Edgar Hoover conspired with the uh, mafia to kill um, Dick Gregory. Okay? We'll talk about that as well. All right? Uh, some deep, deep history there. Uh, also, uh, I want to talk about this story coming out of uh, Georgia about this white police officer who pulled over uh, a white woman and she was uh, afraid and uh, wanted to keep her hands uh, up in the air. She was in the car and he told her that we only shoot black people. Remember, we only shoot black people. He said this to calm her down. His attorney is saying he only said this to calm her down. Uh, Where in the training manual, where in your training did it tell you to tell somebody who's not African-American to calm them down, we only shoot black people. Very interesting. The chief of police um, of Cobb County um, had a um, press conference today and uh, recommends that that officer be fired. No way to justify that one. So we'll talk some about that. AtlantaBlackStar.com has a good article about that. And also uh, RawStory.com has an article as well about that. Okay. Shocking, shocking incident. Uh, and it was caught on uh, camera, a uh, dash cam camera. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about that some. And then uh, NewsOne.com had an article. We talked about this this morning on uh, Wake Up with Steve Hood on 910A on the Superstation. Some of you all may have seen the uh, Facebook Live broadcast. Um, black women's unequal pay preserved under Trump. Uh, reversal of an Obama-era policy. So Donald Trump is reversing a President Obama-era policy, which would require uh, businesses with 100 or more employees to record information about their hiring practices when it comes to gender and race to help close the pay gap. Uh, Trump doesn't think that's a good idea. Okay. We'll talk some about that as well. And then, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've seen the protests dealing with the Confederate monuments, we've seen that spread, okay? And we've seen it spread to um, uh, statues of Christopher Columbus and statues of uh, J. Marion Sims, who's the father of modern gynecology. We'll talk about that some as well. The protests uh, from Black Youth Project 100 to uh, take down a statue honoring J. Marion Sims in New York. And then also there's an update to that story as well. that came out um, on the 29th from uh, the Washington Post, okay, which was uh, Tuesday from the Washington Post, all right? So the, the, the protests over the Confederate statues, they're spreading to statues of Christopher Columbus and, and other statues, symbols of uh, white supremacy. Okay, and I um, we did a podcast about that uh, or a YouTube video, so you can check that out as well. Our YouTube channel is Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. All right. Okay, so on the African History on the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, 
and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the rays of a man's thoughts, you control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Uh, sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, I want to let you know that uh, I want to remind you to do my, uh, teach my online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We do that on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's a 12-hour, six-week online course. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. So uh, visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can uh, register for it there. It's only $40 for the full six-week, uh, six-hour, uh, so 12-hour, six-week online course. I'll be doing session number four. Uh, on Friday, September 1st. As soon as you register, you can watch the previous sessions, and we have about 20 hours of bonus content. And then this Saturday, um, September 2nd, I'll do a um, I'll do an online lecture dealing with um, I'll do an online lecture dealing with um, African American resistance in the era of Donald Trump. African American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences, okay? Um, so check that out as well, as well at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is our website. All right. Okay, so uh, I want to jump into this topic here dealing with um, Dick Gregory. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Dick Gregory back in uh, 2014 when I was guest hosting the uh, Warren Ballantyne show. I guest hosted Warren's show on the Empowerment Radio Network for uh, about three months, okay? And we're going to post the information here on the thread. Those watching on Facebook will post the website here, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Okay, so... Washington Post has this article from August 22nd, um, and this deals with J. Edgar Hoover trying to assassinate, uh, trying to use the mafia to kill Dick Gregory. So Dick Gregory ran for president in 1968, okay, and he was a write-in candidate on the uh, Freedom and Peace, uh, for the Freedom and Peace Party, uh, if I remember correctly, it's the Freedom and Peace Party. So on the campaign trail, he talked negatively about J. Edgar Hoover, okay, and rightfully so, uh, FBI director at the time. And uh, he also talked negatively about um, President Lyndon Johnson, 
All right. So in an interview, uh, Dick Gregory was asked, uh, well, he said, I have a lot of uh, newsmen asking me strange questions. Uh, he told a group of students at the University of California at Los Angeles on April 24th, 1968. He said, like, for instance, they'll ask, Mr. Gregory, if you were elected president of the United States, uh, what is the first thing you would do? He said, I thought the whole world knew uh, if I was elected president of this country, the first thing I'd do is paint the White House black. First thing I, I would do is paint the White House black. Okay, Peace and Freedom Party. That's what it was. Peace. He was a he was a write-in candidate for the Peace and Freedom Party. Okay, so he said the second thing I would do is bring all the boys home from Vietnam uh, and send LBJ. All right. So this was controversial at the time. So we know in 1967, Dr. King spoke out April of 1967. Actually, April 4th of 1967 to be exact. He spoke out against the Vietnam War in his first public speech against the Vietnam War. He was assassinated exactly one year later, April 4th, 1968. He was assassinated. So you have this this anti-war sentiment, this anti-war movement that was taking place. Now, the counterintelligence program, COINTELPRO, was started in August of 1967, August of 1967. COINTELPRO was started the month after the Detroit Rebellion ended, the Detroit Rebellion in 1967. So we just celebrated here in Detroit, I live in Detroit, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the 1967 Detroit Rebellion, which was from July 23rd to July 27th, 1967. And then on uh, July 28th, 1967, President Johnson convenes the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorder, the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorder, more popularly known as the Kerner Commission. OK, this 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 was convened. This was uh, uh, this commission was uh, convened the um, the day after the 19 the, the day after the 67 Detroit Rebellion ended. OK, and then in. um um, August of 67, you have the counterintelligence program that's uh, started by J. Edgar Hoover to disrupt the civil rights movement, to spy on them, set set up leaders, uh, incarcerate them, in some cases kill them. Um, so this is uh, check out the documentary uh, COINTELPRO, COINTELPRO, okay? And uh, COINTELPRO deals with the uh, history of the um, – of the counterintelligence program, COINTELPRO. Okay. Excellent, excellent documentary came out in the 1980s. All right. So, um, Gregory's caustic style, marrying humor and hard truths about race and politics was the main theme of the, uh, tributes that popped up in the wake of the news of his death over the weekend, over, you know, a couple weekends ago, and he passed away at age 84. Now, J. Edgar Hoover saw him as a threat because he was a comedian first. He was an entertainer first. Then he got involved in the civil rights movement. He was a very, very popular entertainer. Uh, he was the first African-American comedian to appear on The Tonight Show. That was with Jack Parr, uh, The Tonight Show. So he was a groundbreaking comedian. 
And because he could use humor in his in, in his routine, in his jokes, he talked about race. He talked about racism, how stupid it was, things like this, right? Um, and he actually um, joked about, he said, uh, quote, where else in the world but America could I have lived in the worst neighborhoods, attended the worst schools, rode in the back of the bus, and get paid $5,000 a week just for talking about it, okay? So if you go listen to his stand-up in the 1960s, you know, he, he's dealing with what was taking place at that time. And he, when he gets involved in the civil rights movement, marches with Dr. King, goes to jail in 1963 in Birmingham with Dr. King, this helped to let a lot of other African-Americans know it's okay to join the movement. And even people who would not listen to Dr. King were more likely to listen to Dick Gregory because he was a comedian. They knew him as a comedian. And then he can slip information in there about civil rights into his, into his speech as well. Okay. So Dick Gregory in 1968, the 1968 interview, he said, I feel the two party system is obsolete. The two party system is so corrupt and immoral they cannot solve the problems confronting the masses of the people uh, in this country. Okay, now, uh, Dick Gregory's radical uh, criticism was also putting him in a dangerous spot. As he campaigned, uh, he fell into the paranoid crosshairs of J. Edgar Hoover, who at the time was the FBI director, okay? And uh, J. Edgar Hoover concocted a strange plan to potentially, quote-unquote, neutralize Dick Gregory with the help of the mafia. So this plan did not become publicly known until 10 years later, until 1978, okay? And this is when the, the FBI files related to uh, this uh, assassination attempt um, were, were released. Uh, by the FBI, okay? They were declassified. And uh, the files related to the FBI's controversial surveillance activities on black radical and civil rights groups were first released in, in 1978. So Dick Gregory, uh, in 1978, when, when, uh, when he was presented with J. Edgar Hoover's memos tied to the effort to kill him, he said, quote, do you realize what you have here? Do you realize what you have here? This piece of paper has the director of the most powerful police agency in the history of this planet proposing to contact this mafia so they could work together. This piece of paper has the director of the most powerful police agency in the history of this planet proposing to contact this mafia so they could work together. Now, according to the now, the Washington Post had an article about this back in 1978. According to a 1978 account in the Washington Post, a month after Dick Gregory's 1968 appearance at UCLA, okay, J. Edgar Hoover sent a memo to Martin W. Washington, uh, sorry, Martin W. Johnson, Martin W. Johnson, who at the time was the head of the Chicago office of the FBI. And this memo from J. Edgar Hoover instructed uh, Martin W. Johnson to, quote, develop counterintelligence measure to neutralize, end quote, the comedian. Develop counter 
intelligence measure to neutralize the comedian. So Jagger Hoover in his memo said, quote, Gregory has traveled all over the country preaching black nationalist extremism, hatred, and violence. Okay, because all these guys were under surveillance. And, and, and you have to understand, they knew they were under surveillance, but they still persevered in spite of it. Some of them knew that they were going to be assassinated. Some of them knew they weren't going to make it, but they still persevered. What was interesting is you have people today who say what they would have done back then, and they aren't even doing that today with the police shootings, with the reversal of voting rights, with all that's going on. You have people today talking about what they would have done back then, and they aren't even doing that today. So J. Edgar Hoover in his memo said, quote, Gregory has traveled all over the country preaching black nationalist extremism, hatred, and violence. Gregory uses his reputation as a comedian to ensure his vitriolic statements are reported by the press. He has made personal attacks on the president of the United States and the director of the FBI and FBI agents. Quote, unquote. Okay, so uh, Hoover warned Martin W. Johnson, who was at the time the uh, head of the Chicago FBI office, he warned Johnson that the agency's actions, quote, should be in the nature of an expose since he already gets far too much publicity. uh, um, Sorry, his efforts should not be in, the action should not be in the nature of an expose. It should not be in the uh, nature of an expose since he already gets too much publicity. Instead, sophisticated Instead, sophisticated, completely untraceable means of neutralizing Gregory should be developed. Sophisticated, completely untraceable means of neutralizing Gregory should be developed. So J. Edgar Hoover worked out the idea in a memo dated three weeks later on May 15th, 1968. Okay, this is the so this is the month after Dr. King is assassinated. He Dr. King's assassinated April 4th, 1968. When he's assassinated, you're gonna have 25, 125 uh, rebellions that break out across the country. Okay? Riots, rebellions. 125 gonna break out across the country because African Americans were furious that Dr. King was assassinated. May 15th, 1968, uh, Dick Gregory worked out um, the idea of conspiring with the mafia to kill Dick Gregory in a memo. Dick Gregory, uh, um, Hoover noted, had made harsh comments um, about members of the mafia, then known as the syndicate, the syndicate. Quote, syndicate hoods are living all over, uh, the comedian had told a crowd. They are the filthiest snakes that exist on this earth. So not only was Dick Gregory talking about J. Edgar Hoover and President Johnson, he was also talking about the mafia as well. Now, although the FBI director, although Hoover had previously vehemently denied the existence of organized crime, Hoover saw an opportunity here. So we knew that organized crime existed. 
okay? We see that going back even to the early 1900s, Prohibition era, Al Capone, Frank Nitti, things like this, right? So we knew it existed. So Jagger Hoover ordered the head of the Chicago office of the FBI, Martin W. Johnson, to, quote, consider the use of this statement in developing a counterintelligence operation to alert La Cosa Nostra, LCN, La Cosa Nostra, to Gregory's attack on La Cosa Nostra. Okay? Consider the use of this statement in uh, developing in developing a counterintelligence uh, operation to alert La Cosa Nostra to Gregory's attack on LCN. It is noted that the other speeches by Gregory also contain attacks on La Cosa Nostra. Okay? So this is... Um, this is what was taking place, and they were trying to uh, kill Dick Gregory. Now, whether the Bureau successfully baited organized crime into reprisals against Dick Gregory is unlikely. Okay. However, uh, J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972 before the memos became public. In 1978, Martin W. Johnson, the former Chicago uh, uh former head of the Chicago office of the FBI told the Washington post, um, he did not, uh, he did not recall anything regarding Dick Gregory. He said, quote, I, I don't remember anything. And even if I did, I couldn't say anything because I'm still bound by my oath of office, not to disclose anything we did. Okay. Quote unquote. Now FBI schemes against civil rights leaders, were part of the agency's COINTELPRO operations, counterintelligence program, that started in 1956 and continued until 1957, continued until 1971. Okay, now actually, COINTELPRO itself starts in 1967. All right, but you're going to have previous operations to destabilize civil rights groups, things like this, going back to 56. But the actual counterintelligence program, COINTELPRO, that starts in August of 1967. Um, FBI documents unearthed during a U.S. Senate investigation in 1975 showed officials seeking, quote, avenues of approach aimed at neutralizing Martin Luther King Jr. as an effective Negro leader, okay? So during a uh, FBI uh, document surfaced, in 1975 during a U.S. Senate investigation, and they showed that the FBI was seeking, quote, avenues of approach aimed at neutralizing, end quote, Martin Luther King Jr. as an effective Negro leader because they were trying to, uh, Hoover was trying to prevent the rise of a black messiah that could electrify the masses and unite the masses. Okay, now, in, in Dr. King's case, neutralizing him meant, among other things, an effort to get King to kill himself by sending uh, Dr. King an anonymous letter threatening to expose his adulterous acts and immoral conduct. Okay, this happened in 1964. J. Edgar Hoover um, had one of his agents send Dr. King an anonymous letter. And it was written like it was from an African-American person who was criticizing Dr. King for being a fraud, cheating on his wife, all types of things like this. 
so the the letter was sent to his home. Coretta Scott King received the letter, opened it, and read it. And Jagger Hoover's goal was to get Dr. King to commit suicide. Now, by 1978, Dick Gregory had left comedy for full-time activism and political commentary. Instead of being outraged at, at, at what I said, Hoover should have been Hoover should have given me a medal, uh, Dick Gregory told the Washington Post. Okay, so you can check out this article from um, WashingtonPost.com, WashingtonPost.com. Um, Jagger Hoover saw Dick Gregory as a threat, so he schemed to have uh, the mafia neutralize the comic. Okay, this is from uh, August twenty second, two thousand seventeen. All right. Okay, so how's everybody doing? Uh, we're going to go to Nataki here in just a second. So, Nataki, stand by. How's everybody doing? Hey, welcome to the African History Network show. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. I want to let you know that the new documentary, Elementary Genocide 3, do we have it here? Elementary Genocide 3 just came out uh, August 22nd. Um, so, we just got these in stock uh, a couple of days ago. From director Raheem Shabazz is available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Elementary Genocide Part 3, Academic Holocaust, featured in this documentary is Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene and Professor James Small from Hidden Colors, as well as Shaharazad Ali from uh, Hidden Colors, David Banner, who's in Hidden Colors 3, Dr. Boyce Watkins, who's in Hidden Colors 4. I'm featured in this documentary as well. Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. I mean, this is my seventh, let me see, this is my sixth documentary I'm in, and then my seventh one is coming out, uh, the Black Friday documentary, Black Friday, uh, the Global uh, Legacy, that comes out October 13th, all right? We have the Black Friday documentaries uh, at our website right now, Black Friday, the remix, that's available, that deals with... um, Strategies to recycle our $1.3 trillion economy and strategies to build um, generational wealth also so you can pass on generational wealth uh, to our children. Okay, so in um, the those watching here on the thread of the broadcast, how's everybody doing on Facebook? Hey, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. So we're broadcasting on uh, Blog Talk Radio blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show Um, and you can also call in and listen by phone 914-338-1375 914-338-1375 is the call in number also Uh, you can listen by phone and uh, also you can call with a question or comment okay if you have a question or comment, when you call in, press the number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air. All right. So, um, okay, we're going to go to um, Nataki here in just a second. Uh, let me get some of your comments here on Facebook quickly. So, um, Angela said, did he cheat? Uh, yeah. Um, Dr. King had a few affairs. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty well known. 
um, let's see. C.O. Tisdale said Jagger Hoover's name is still on the FBI building. Maybe we should uh, bring down his name and statues. Well, oh yeah, it should definitely be taken down. Uh, yeah, that should definitely be taken down. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Leonard, okay, how you doing, Leonard? Angela, uh, no, no, he, um, this actually the main woman who he, um, had an affair with. She wrote a book about it. Uh, came out in the last couple of years because I know Roland Martin interviewed her, uh, last two years or so. Uh, she wrote a book about it. So that's um, very interesting. Okay, Phyllis said, please show love and concern for the folks in Texas and Louisiana. Yep, definitely. So um, they're dealing with the aftermath there. I think the worst part of the storm has already hit, but they're dealing with a lot of rain also. All right. Okay, so let's go to our guest here. Um, we have um, on the line, we're joined by um, Nataki Kambon of um, a New Business Solutions. Okay, and Nataki uh, New Business Solutions is a consulting firm uh, specializing in small business growth and development. Uh, Nataki was born in Brooklyn, New York, and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina with their close-knit uh, parents and siblings, each of whom are activists and notable doctors in, the, in their fields of education, psychology, medicine, and African studies. Um, so we also know Nataki from uh, uh, Let's, Buy, uh, Let's uh, Buy Black 365.com as well. So Nataki's first successful business was a vegetarian takeout and catering service operated from her college dorm, dorm room, Post-graduation, she used the profits to extend her business education and to launch the business consulting firm. New Business Solutions was initially conceived to help grow black-owned businesses. Ironically, though, most of the company's clients are not African-American. Through her 15-year tenure as a consultant, Nataki has had the opportunity to help a range, a wide range of clients from commercial contractors, retailers, uh, medical facilities, and even rocket scientists, okay? Uh, it's interesting about rockets, rocket scientists because this morning I wake up with Steve Hood, I talked about uh, Dr. Macy Jemison and how she was uh, inspired by seeing Nichelle Nichols, Lieutenant Uhuru, Uhuru each week on Star Trek. And that was one of the inspirations uh, for her to become an astronaut. Okay, so we want to welcome back to the um, African History Network show, uh, Nataki Kambon. Let's get her on here. All right, let's see. Okay, so uh, Nataki, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi, hear Michael. You. How Hi, are you? Michael. How are you? All right, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. All right, excellent, excellent. Be, and, I am uh, here in my own voice echo. I'm not sure echo. if you're getting that on oh, the air. Okay. Getting that on the air. Hold on. Let me see. Let me lower it a little bit. Okay. 
So on Facebook, people should be able to hear on Facebook. So those watching on Facebook, let me know that you can hear. Okay, so Nataki, um, we have you on to talk about the um, five um, top five reasons the most passionate African-American entrepreneurs still fail in the secret to success. Now, that's very interesting because um, a lot of times people think you just need passion and a good idea to be successful as an entrepreneur, but it sounds like that's not that simple. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I hear, you know, just, you know, people on the street, you know, you ask, oh, what do you do? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not quite successful yet, but, you know, I'm really, really passionate. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, no one goes into entrepreneurship to do something they're not passionate about. Um, you know, passion is, 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 the, is the starting foundation. Uh, right. But, you know, it, it, it's more than that. You, when you look at what actually differentiates uh, successful entrepreneurs from those who are not successful and from those who fail, passion is the one thing that everyone has in common. So we have to look at what goes beyond the passion, what goes beyond the vision, what goes beyond the, you know, I know this is going to work mentality uh, to get it, you know, the real key to success. Okay. So what, uh, let's start with number one. Uh, We're going to do with the top five reasons, uh, most uh, top five reasons, the most passionate uh, African-American entrepreneurs still fail and the secret to success. So, so what's number one? Uh, number one is really taking pride in the idea of working hard. And where we actually should be focused is on how to work smarter, not harder. Uh, the, some of the most successful people don't actually work that hard or come up with ways to to automate things or to, to leverage relationships or all these different kinds of things so that they're not working hard. Uh, and so, you know, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs who talk about, you know, I've worked a, a 70, 80 hour week and they're very proud of it. But, uh, you know, when sometimes I'll, I'll break down with my clients how much they make, they were to, they would make if we calculated it on an hourly basis. And you find some people who are making like a dollar an hour, three dollars an hour, <laughs> or less, uh, when you yeah. actually calculate how much their time is is yielding results. And and that's not, you know, when you start to get to that level, that's not actually even true entrepreneurship. Um, you know, it's it's it, it it begins to drift more into hobby mode. So you know, one of the first yeah. things is not differentiating how to work smarter and not harder. Okay, absolutely. So you want to be uh, efficient and effective. You want to be efficient and effective. Okay. And, uh, you know, I've taught entrepreneurship for nine years, so I'm I'm very familiar with this. And I I remember uh, I was um, teaching a class for the United Way, and uh, we, we had a student in the class who had a flooring business, and he had to put together a business plan. So part of the business plan was to do a cash flow statement. And, you know, they have to do a cash flow statement. They have to do a balance sheet, things like this, right? So after we looked at his – he had some contracts um, to um, 
maintain floors, clean floors, things like this. And, uh, you know, but after we looked at his, um, his revenue and his expenses on a monthly basis, we saw that his revenue was $22,000 a month, but his expenses were $24,000 a month. But he didn't know that. Right. Because I've, he he was he was just focused on he had money coming in and he was working exactly. hard. And he did a good job. But you know, so when I had him calculate this stuff, he said, Wow, he said, I'm just breaking even. I said, No, you're not breaking even. I said, You're paying them to go to work. Exactly. I've got a similar story for you also in the construction industry. Um, there was a company I met with earlier this year that um, when I met with them, they said, you know, we need some consulting help um, because we, you know, I can feel something's not right. But, you know, one thing I can brag about is that we did $7 million last year and we're aiming to do $10 million, which is why I want you to come in uh, because we want, you know, help bridging that, that $3 million increase. And I, I asked, is that gross or is that net? And he was like, he said gross. And I was like, well, what are you netting of the seven million? And he was like, well, I don't really right. know. So part of oh what I God. do is comprehensive. <laughs> uh, I, I first start with a company that comes to me like that with a comprehensive assessment of everything from accounting, operations, um, staff effectiveness, everything. And what I found in their assessment. Uh, when we actually did their accounting, because uh, they didn't have an effective um, accounting person, they had someone who was doing data entry, but not someone, and they had a tax accountant, but they didn't have someone uh, like me <laughs> who actually helps right. translate the numbers into management decisions, translate the numbers into other things. When we actually got to the bottom of the numbers, they had actually done negative $250,000 for the year 2016. And the way I've articulated that before, I said that was the equivalent of him sitting on his behind for 364 days last year, uh, just before midnight on December 31st. That's the equivalent of him taking $250,000, putting it in a trash can, setting that trash can on fire and throwing it out of his window. He would have had the exact same result. And so, you know, there's a major <laughs> difference. Because all, all that work, he ended up losing $250,000. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and so, you know, I say this all the time. Sometimes people get, you know, they're not used to seeing large numbers. And so they say, oh, you know, I'm right. making a million dollars or I'm making, you know, all this. But, you know, I have seen companies that are more profitable at 100,000 than sometimes companies that are, prof- that, that are, excuse me, that are more profitable only generating $100,000 in revenue than some that are making millions. Um, because, again, it's not what you gross, it's what you net. Right. Now, explain for those who may not be in business, things like this, explain the difference between gross and net. Okay. Yeah. Great question. So gross profit is just off the top. What did you sell and bring in, in terms of cash um, Mm -hmm. uh, or in terms of receivables? Sometimes people are going to pay you later on an invoice, but what did you bring in? Uh, Mm -hmm. After you look at what you bring in uh, is revenue after what you bring in, then you need to subtract um, how much it costs to buy supplies and all those kinds of things, cost of goods sold, inventory, 
Uh, you also have to subtract your um, your expenses, mm-hmm. overhead, staff, lighting, you know, whatever, you know, small things. Um, And then uh, after you subtract all that, what you are left with is your net income, your net profit. And so, so often uh, you have business owners who only think of the growth, like what did I bring in, but don't really understand what they, uh, what they netted. And also, uh, you know, a mistake in there is not factoring in how much you as a, if you're an owner operator, meaning you're actually partially operating the business, it's not something, you know, you're, you're home or you're on vacation and someone else manages it for you. Uh, if you're an owner operator, a lot of small business owners will say, well, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, I don't count myself. But you really have to count yourself if you're really seeing if the business is profitable, because if you're working yourself to death, um, and the ba- business is barely getting by, uh, or is just breaking even, then you you don't truly have uh, a business in the sense that that I define it, which is uh, it is an entity which is organized and and profitable in such a way that it's self sustaining. Uh, and right. because what happens is if you remove yourself, the whole thing falls apart. And so that's not truly um, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Right. That's more of a hobby. Okay. So mm-hmm. we, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Nataki Kambon of uh, New Business Solutions. And we're talking about the top five reasons most uh, passionate, the top five reasons the most passionate African-American entrepreneurs still fail and the secret to success. Okay. So what was number one? Uh, number one was uh, confusing working hard with or taking pride in working hard rather than uh, focusing on working smarter, not harder. Okay. So and you working, actually segued. Uh, I didn't say what number smarter. two was. <laughs> yeah, what's number two? Uh, we, what's number two? Uh, I didn't say it yet, but you actually segued right into it. It was mistaking passion for results. Uh, was number two, and you gave a perfect example, and I did too on on how that <laughs> how that can happen. Mistaken passion for results, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay, now what's number three? Uh, number three is taking pride in doing things unnecessarily uh, the hard way. Um, and so I I, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs who, who are, you know, who take pride in working hard and, you know, working hard and creating a business is, you know, is a very fulfilling experience. Um, I, I've worked with companies and, you know, I used to tell people I, um, with one of my clients that was a construction company, um, I ended up uh, actually investing. I don't do that anymore in terms of investing in client companies, but I actually uh, invested into that company And, um, you know, we grew it into a multi-million dollar company, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And, you know, I used to tell people, you know, you should be able to take pride in the fact that you're going home every night knowing that people have jobs, families have clothes, food, shelter because of the work you're doing. And, um, And that's what entrepreneurship really should be. But you, what I uh, often hear are people who, uh, 
who don't get the help, don't get, you know, don't invest in their own companies. And, and so they don't have a lot to show for it. And they say, well, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get, you know, I'm not gonna hire a consultant. I'm not gonna hire somebody um, who's gonna help me. I'm not gonna bring on people who may even be smarter than me in certain roles uh, because, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna work hard and get there. Uh, but, you know, there's no, you know, there's no trophy for taking, um, I don't know, for go, walking up the slope versus taking the ski lift. I don't know why I'm using a skiing reference, but <laughs> I don't ski. But, right. you know, if at, at the end of the day, you're looking for the results. And I, I often tell people that if your goal is to help as many people as possible, and, and especially uh, I'm sure one of the things that uh, I and you have in common with the listeners is that, you know, we probably have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs because they also want to help community. Uh, then uh, I, I say the best way to measure your positive impact on community should be in terms of what your growth and net sales are. So if I have a company uh, for profit or nonprofit, and I'm here because I really just want to do good work, then that there should be a cash translation or a cash equivalent to that in terms of sales for your business. Uh, so it shouldn't just be, oh, I'm just doing it uh, to help community and then there be no sales because that means that you're not helping as many people as possible because there's no one there. Right. <laughs> uh, and so we wow. really want to elevate it to a different level where you're helping the most people as possible on the sales side, but then you're also helping the most people as possible because the more you do in sales, the more profitable you are, and profitability is not a bad word, uh, you know, the, the more jobs you're creating, uh, you know, the, the more you're growing, which means the more influence you can have on your local, uh, your local government, which sometimes affects our lives more than the national and federal government. Right. So, so, um, you know, so what was number three again? So number three was just, um, you know, taking pride in doing things the unnecessarily hard way and, and, and attempting to struggle alone, um, rather than, uh, get or ask for help. Okay. Taking pride in doing things the hard way, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. And it's more time consuming also. And oftentimes you lose right. more money as well. Okay. What's number four? Uh, number four is being so busy at being busy that um, we don't have time to form relationships. We don't have time to uh, innovate. We don't have time to really grow the business um, because we're we're chained to the company in a way that doesn't allow us to see a, a big picture anymore. Okay, so – um, that one deals with, um, once again, uh, is, is state number four again, what was it? Uh, it's just being so busy, uh, okay. within your business. It's, it's, it's busyness within your business, uh, that keeps you from actually leveraging things that, that entrepreneurs who have good systems in place can do. So, you know, entrepreneurs who have good, good systems in place can actually, um, partner with other complementary businesses to do some things. They can do things in the community 
they can uh, form relationships. They can network, um, not even on an individual level, but you're talking about an intercompany level networking that most people don't get to um, because they're so busy uh, at the daily grind that that, right. that they they don't even know that there's another level <laughs> to how networking happens. Well, they're, 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 they're too busy doing the, the daily tasks to actually really grow the business and engage in other activities to grow the business. Networking, right. going to networking right. events, um, um, et, et cetera, going to seminars. Um, okay. Uh, what's number five? Right. And I would I would add there, you know, sometimes people will take some time to go to seminars and, and do some of those kinds of things. But, you know, I guess that's a good segue into number five. Uh, you know, sometimes the the the, you know, how do I do X task that, you know, people can take a seminar on. I don't know, you know, people surprisingly enough, I don't necessarily always recommend those for clients. Um, I think sometimes it's really good to know from a high level uh, how a certain business activity works so that you can effectively um, insource a staff member in your company to do it or outsource an outside company to do it. Um, but, you know, if you are a fantastic, um, I don't know, to use your example earlier, if you're a fantastic flooring person uh, and you are the owner operator who does flooring amazingly uh, you know how to estimate it. You know how to do all those kinds of things. Uh, I I say it's like you know putting going at 90 miles an hour and then suddenly throwing a car in reverse. If you decide, well, now I want to learn marketing. Now I want to learn accounting. Now I want to learn, <laughs> you know, all these different kinds of things. You know, it y- you should be able to focus on the revenue generating activities and not you know, try and learn all of these other areas of expertise that people go to school for years to do to save money because it's actually costing you money rather than making you money to try and be, um, you know, a master at all of these tasks. You know, you hear a jack of all trades and a master of none. Uh, And you have so many business owners who fail because they try and master all things and end up just really, really, you know, treading water or spinning their wheels. Absolutely. And so that's Absolutely. the segue into number five, which is, um, you know, being uh, not asking for help. And so recognizing that, you know, I had a vision for this company. Uh, it's not where I want it to be. And, but, uh, you know, within our community especially, there's, there's a stigma associated with, with asking for help and expertise Um, You know, we see it in in different forms. You you get people who say, well, I don't want to go to a doctor, Um, even though, you know, they know something's wrong. (laughs) And it's like, oh, I'm, you know, or I, you know, we have a stigma around psychology. Like no one, you know, no one can tell me what to do. Uh, You know, there are all these things and resources that we have at our disposal. But for some reason, we would rather reject the idea that someone might be able to give us insight to help. Uh, and and we would rather suffer in silence, uh, and so and that is and that and it becomes a silent killer of 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 the business in the process. Okay, excellent, excellent. So, what type of um, what type of services do you all offer at uh, New Business Solutions? So, uh, really, uh, what, what I used to do uh, with consulting was, um, was primarily accounting 
And then from the accounting, that really gave us insight into the pulse of the business. I always say the the accounting is really the heartbeat of a business. Uh, at any one at any time, you know, you should really know, uh, you know, where your sales are, where your net profit is, what your cash flow statement looks like, what your what your balance sheet is looking like. Um, if if you are are truly a, an entrepreneur who who knows that they are growing their business. And um, when I used to do consulting, so um, I, I think I need to update my bio. I've actually been doing this for 17 years. I, heard, I, I know my bio says 15. But I used to notice that I would consult companies and, you know, they would try and learn how to implement all the different things that, that I suggested. And, and I saw that analogy that I talked about where someone was great at what they did, but it was like putting a car going 90 miles an hour in reverse suddenly you know, the transmission just falls out because you have limited <laughs> time and resources. And so what uh, we shifted to do is, uh, imp- is, is, cons- is beyond consulting, it's beyond advising, and it's actually direct implementation. So people come to me who are either startups, uh, they might currently be working a job and thinking about starting up, or maybe they've already started, uh, or they're an existing business that has things that are not going right, and they come, uh, we do a full assessment of where they are. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a, for people listening, you can go to newbusinesssolutions.com, and that's new spelled in you uh, as a Nubian, so newbusinesssolutions.com. Uh, and there's a little quiz you can take that says, is your business running you or are you running your business? Uh, and you can click on that quiz button and take that. Uh, but uh, what we do now is rather than than have entrepreneurs try and shift gears and implement the things we're saying, we go in and implement full scale the best sales management operation, uh, yeah, operations, uh, accounting, and uh, and everything you know, uh, sourcing staff, uh, everything so that the business can become profitable. Uh, more quickly. And so usually we're looking okay. at, you know, for very small companies that might be 30 days for, for, you know, larger or more complicated companies. Um, it's sometimes uh, 90 days to six months, but you know, the beauty of it is there's so many companies that, that wait until the two to five year mark. It's almost like a, a sword hanging over their head to find out if they're going to make it over that hump and actually survive that two to five year period where most businesses fail. And so what we do is take that sword away, take the entire mystery away, um, because we set businesses up with profitability um, from the onset if they're startups, and then we reverse the trajectory of failure for companies that are just listing or getting by uh, by coming in and just implementing everything soup to nuts. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So – if you have a question or comment, give us a call, 914-338-1375. We have Nataki for a few more minutes. Give us a call, 914-338-1375. If you have a question or comment, press the number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air, 914-338-1375, okay? Um, and then you can call in. You can also call in and listen by phone at 914-338-1375. So um, maybe if you listen on Facebook and you want to listen by phone, you can do that. 
also online, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show, blog talk, B-L-O-G, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Um, you can listen uh, to the show there as well. Remember, all these shows are podcasted at our blog talk page, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Also, uh, they're podcasted on iTunes, the African History Network show on iTunes. And um, we have, uh, you can always go to our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. It has a link there to listen to podcasts of the shows also, africanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, so um, give people your website. How do people get in contact with you if they want to find out more about your uh, consulting services or they want to utilize you? What should people do next? Yeah, uh, they should definitely go to the website. There's a a video on there with some some sample companies um, because, again, the nice thing about this is it also takes some of the, the question out of it. Uh, some people are, are a little afraid to hire consultants because they feel like it's an extra expense that they can't afford. Um, but really um, working with new business solutions is actually an opportunity to invest in your company in a different way to put it on solid footing um, because we actually start with a plan for profitability that we're just implementing. So it takes that guesswork away of, you know, let me try this and see if it works. Oh, no, that didn't work. Let me try this and see if it works. That didn't work. Uh, because a lot of entrepreneurs do the like trial and error or trial and fail <laughs> uh, approach right. to things, and they end up, you know, wasting tens of thousands of dollars. You know, I get people who come to me that, oh, I've just got a fine because I didn't know I was supposed to do this kind of thing, and now, you know, just all different kinds of things. Um, and so, definitely go to the website, um, newbusinesssolutions.com. Again, new is spelled N-U, and uh, so newbusinesssolutions.com, I always tell people be mindful. There are three consecutive S's in the middle from the end of business and the beginning of solutions. And um, right. and then, uh, you know, uh, listeners on your show, one thing my clients enjoy, um, you know, I, I don't have any more hourly rates anymore. It's flat rate pricing, um, which really okay. puts uh, business owners at ease because there's so many variable costs that can just get out of hand that, you know, the flat rate pricing model has um, really worked well. And another thing that uh, clients enjoy is my calendar. Uh, You can, there's a little book and appointment uh, icon on the bottom right, excuse me, bottom left of the screen. Uh, My clients have full access to my calendar. They can book an appointment, ask questions, um, get information uh, anytime they want. And so, you know, it's not, it's not, oh, my gosh, I'm on the clock for an hour. I'm, I can't ask this question. And so, you know, that allows me to understand very in-depth what's going on in a company. So I'm actually almost like an, a, a, a silent partner or an additional partner right. in the business who's fully, who's fully knowledgeable, can, can inform on, you know, best practice from insurance to sales and marketing uh, to all of these different kinds of things, but we start by doing the accounting, um, but but it's not accounting in the traditional sense. It's not it's not how a lot of people think of accounting, which is just data entry and you know maybe doing a reconciliation. It's it's really taking 
the numbers and translating them into ways to reinvest in your business, both operationally and, um, and in other ways to actually take the company to the vision that the entrepreneur had when they first, when they first started it. And one other thing I'd like to throw in, you were just talking about, um, the, the generational wealth and the concepts that were laid out in, in black Friday and, uh, some of the other documentaries and uh, the reason that I'm doing your show and, and doing some others is because, as you mentioned in my bio right now, um, most uh, none of my clients are black. But um, when we look at the businesses that we have in our community, uh, I think it's 1.7 million black-owned businesses, somewhere in that range right now. Uh, but most of them are solo entrepreneurs. Most of them are not profitable. Most make less than $100,000, I think it is. And uh, as a spokesperson for Let's Buy Black 365, when we're saying that we want to champion quality black-owned businesses that have the ability to stabilize communities, create uh, intergenerational wealth and all of these things, it really, in addition to consumers, needing to patronize black-owned businesses, we need entrepreneurs to really uh, take take the, their time but also take their money and invest in, uh, in activities like, like full-scale implementation with new business solutions that can scale their company up to profitability so that it's not, it's, it won't live and die with the owner. And it can create okay. jobs. It can influence policy it can uh help community on on a level that is truly truly meaningful right okay excellent excellent okay so visit newbusinesssolutions.com n-u business solutions newbusinesssolutions.com and uh you can get connected uh with nataki she can help you grow your business with accounting and i can also get my phone number yeah yeah what's the phone number also yeah, uh, they can also um, they can call. Um, this is the the office line, so you can't text it. Um, but you can call three zero one two four four nine zero seven two from anywhere in the country. Uh, again, you can also click the book an appointment. Uh, there's a free thirty minute consultation uh, that listeners for the show can can opt into. And if you're you know if you're really uh, ready to invest in in your company through you know through this kind of service uh we actually you know a goal is that uh by summer of next year um i want to have worked with uh between one to five uh black entrepreneurs who have scaled their business to the point that they are influencers in their community and so i'm uh right right now um you know there's some people who are like well i want to start something small and i want to stay small and that's great, uh, but uh, we're we're really looking at people who really want to take their investment in their company and translate it into uh, being an influencer in community. And and you know that's that's those are the kinds of people we work with. Um, the the construction example I gave earlier that grew into right. a, a million dollar well a multi million dollar company um, started with a five thousand dollar investment. There was another company that um that grew into a a, a seven figure company 
that uh, started with a $10,000 investment. So, you know, these are relatively small for, for the yields. And, and these companies were, were, you know, netting between, you know, between 20 and 30%, which is a pretty good uh, return. Um, right. Uh, especially when you get companies that are negative 250 or in your example, negative <laughs> 2000 a month. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So look, we've got to run. Give that phone number one okay. more time. Okay. It's three zero one two four four nine zero seven two. And make sure that they, uh, they reference that um, they heard this on the African history network uh, show hosted by Michael Imhotep. Uh, and, okay. um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably extend the free consultation uh, a little bit for them. Okay. All right. So you get a free 30-minute consultation as well. Mention that you heard about this on the African History Network show also. All right, Nataki, you have a good night. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Appreciate you so much and all the work you do in community. All right. Thanks. You too as well. All right. All right. Take care, sister. Right. Have a good night. Thank you. All right, you listen to the African History Network show right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, calling numbers 914-338-1375, 914-338-1375 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some about this story coming out of Cobb County in Georgia. Cobb County in Georgia and you have a police officer who told uh, a white woman who was in the car and she was apprehensive about being stopped by the police. He told her, remember, we only shoot black people. He was telling her, oh, you, you don't have anything to worry about. Remember, we only shoot black people. This incident happened July of 2016. We're just finding out about it now. Okay. Very, very interesting. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes. Listen to the African History Network show. Um, and follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. We're broadcasting on Facebook Live. Our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. We're broadcasting um, on Facebook Live. Um, so you can share that. Those watching on Facebook, share the broadcast on your own Facebook page. Share the broadcast on your own Facebook page. Uh, please, those watching on Facebook. All right, and I want to remind you that um, so this Saturday, um, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., Saturday, September 2nd, I'm teaching an online course. Uh, sorry, I'm doing an online lecture, uh, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump. Uh, voter suppression, reparations, and high elections have consequences. Voter suppression, reparations, and high elections have consequences. Okay, so that is um, coming up Saturday. You can register for that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, our website, and uh, also uh, we'll post a link here on um, thread of the broadcast as well. Okay, on, on Facebook. But go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register uh, there. All right. Okay, Elementary Genocide Part 3 is uh, available now at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, it just came out August 22nd, 2017. Here's the trailer. 
for Elementary Genocide Part 3 Academic Holocaust. From the creator of the award-winning documentary series, Elementary Genocide 1 and 2, comes the third and last installment, Elementary Genocide 3 Academic Holocaust. From kindergarten, everything is designed in the curriculum to murder your psychic abilities, to murder your intellectual possibilities, to murder your creative possibilities because that is the way the curriculum is designed to keep Africans from developing the capacity to recreate themselves and their communities and their families and their institutions by their own hands. Let us remember that the pistol grip of today was that slave grip of yesterday. Let us remember that Handcuffs us today, Speaker Miles, were the ropes and the shackles of yesterday. Shit that those slave masters of yesterday have become the judges and the prosecutors and the police departments of today. And there's just some things that are not comfortable for white people. They're not comfortable for them to talk about the possibility that Africans were here before the Europeans. Contributions for African people, not just in America, but African people worldwide is not incorporated into the curriculum. One of the ways that you keep a people oppressed is to not show them their true history. Because if I can make you feel inferior, I can control anything that you Black people have bought into white supremacy and they don't know it. It's like instead of fighting the picture of white supremacy or the picture that white supremacy painted of black people, we've accepted it. The oppressor knows that if they put our contributions into the curriculum, if they put our children into the curriculum, put them into the picture, put them into the frame, then we'll tear this thing out the frame. So we as a community have to take hold of the educational process of our children, and we have to begin to take our children down that road of ma'at, truth and justice and righteousness, in order to educate them in a way that they will become productive citizens, not only of the country, but of the world. Well, African liberation has a lot of dimensions. You know, we're talking about one, African peoples all over the world, most of whom are not free to self-determine their lives and their future. Freeing the lands of Africa, freeing the nation states of Africa, so that they can self-determine and develop their own industry and their own culture and their own way of life with an economic system that can support them by utilizing the wealth in the ground that is theirs. Most of the education that we're getting now, either on elementary level, junior high, high school, all of the educational systems that we don't own, uh, all of those denigrate all of the accomplishments of African All right, so that is the trailer for Elementary Genocide 3 academic holocaust that's available right now at africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com we also have a bundle pack you get elementary genocide uh, part one two and three uh regularly sixty dollars for all three you get it for fifty dollars and you get three of my dvd presentations also each uh each copy you purchase you'll get one of my dvd presentations free uh purchase the bundle pack you get three of my presentations okay um, uh, free with that. So it's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com AfricanHistoryNetwork.com Okay, Elementary Genocide 3 Academic Holocaust Okay um, Welcome back to the African History Network show 
Um, so how's everybody doing on uh, Facebook Live? And uh, we have people listening on Blog Talk. Remember, all these shows are podcasted as well. At um, You can go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, click on the link there on the homepage, listen to the podcast, but also go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. All right. Well, a lot of people saw the story, uh, and even tonight on MSNBC on um, the beat with Ari Melber, um, they talked about this. Um, you have this story coming out of Cobb County in Georgia, and you have a Cobb County police officer who has been placed on administrative leave as of earlier today, administrative duty, I should say pending the outcome of an investigation into, quote, inappropriate racial comments, end quote, he made during a traffic stop last year, okay? Now, the incident took place in July of um, 2017, right around the same time that uh, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were shot and killed. Exclusive dash cam footage obtained by local station WSB-TV WSB-TV there in Georgia, captured Lieutenant Greg Abbott's interaction with a female driver during a DUI traffic stop. In the video, the woman says she's too scared to move her hands to grab her cell phone because, quote, I have just seen way too many videos of cops, end quote. Okay, that's when uh, Lieutenant uh, Greg Abbott cuts her off and says, but you're not black. Remember, we only shoot black people, end quote. Quote, unquote, this is what he said. You can watch the dash cam. I think in the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com, they have the dash cam video. I know on MSNBC tonight, they showed the actual video so you could hear what he said. He said, but you're not black. Remember, we only shoot black people. Now, he was a... 28-year police veteran, okay, uh, and he said, uh, yeah, we only kill black people, right? All the videos you have seen have, uh, all the videos you have seen, have you seen the black people get killed? So WSB, WSB-TV, um, their open records request into the incident prompted the departments, the, the police department's uh, command staff to review the video. Cobb County Police Chief uh, Mike Register said on Friday, August 25th, 2017, which was last Friday, they launched internal investigation into this incident. So a statement from the department said that uh, Cobb County Police Chief Mike Register had just learned of the footage as the incident happened last year before he became police chief. Okay, so this incident, he's a relatively new police chief, it sounds like. This incident happened last year in July of 2017 before the current police chief, Mike Register, was the chief. Okay, so Mike Register told WSB-TV, He said, no matter what context it was said, it should not have been said. No matter what context it was said, it should not have been said. 
We're going to keep going forward to make sure we, as a police department, service the community in a most professional way, all segments of the community. So the encounter also comes after the International Association of Chiefs of Police, Chiefs of Police uh, report gave the Cobb Police Department a high community approval rating, but noted that it needed to address perceptions of racism and discriminatory conduct, according to the news station. Okay, so the International Association of Chiefs of Police, in their report, they gave the Cobb uh, Police Department a high community approval rating, but did note that this department needed to address perceptions of racism and discriminatory conduct, according to WSB-TV. Now, Shuri Jimenez, uh, who's representing the, the, uh, the driver in the case, uh, who's an attorney uh, representing the driver in the case, said he feels the officer was, quote-unquote, being sarcastic after the woman gave him some lip. Jimenez said, it makes you cringe when you hear it. It's unacceptable. Now, uh, Police Chief Mike Register told WSB-TV that uh, Lieutenant Greg Abbott uh, was a good officer and that he wasn't aware of any complaints of racial bias. Uh, Mike, uh, Police Chief Mike Register said, we're not making excuses. We're meeting this head on and we're going to deal with it. Now, there was a press conference held today. We posted that press conference on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and on my personal page, Michael M. Hotel. So we had it broadcasting live while it was taking place. You can go back and watch that press conference from today. It was from uh, a Fox News affiliate there in Georgia. Now, Lance LaRusso, Lance LaRusso is Lieutenant Greg Abbott's attorney, and he provided the uh, station WSB, WSB with the following statement. Lieutenant Greg Abbott is a highly respected 28-year veteran of the Cobb County Police Department. He is cooperating with the, with the department's, um, he's cooperating with the department's uh, internal investigation and will continue to do so. His comments must be observed in their totality to understand their context. He was attempting to de-escalate a situation involving an uh, uncooperative passenger. In context, his comments were clearly aimed at attempting to gain compliance by using the passenger's own statements and reasoning to avoid making an arrest. Really, so I mean, how often how often do you tell uh, a white person you pull over who's apprehensive about moving or apprehensive about the situation? Well, hey, we only kill black people. What 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 if you what if you stop somebody who's white and they are a civil rights attorney, or they're white and a Black Lives Matter activist, or it's somebody white married to what, what if this white woman that you stopped was actually married to an African-American man? Or 
And on top of that, what if they have an African-American child? So he said he was trying to de-escalate a situation involving an uncooperative passenger. Where in your training did it tell you to de-escalate a situation by saying we only telling a white person we only kill black people? Where, where was that training? What where did you get that training from? I don't. We're, I, I've never heard. I've never heard of that as a de-escalation as a de-escalation tactic. Very interesting. Okay, now somebody on Facebook said uh, they need the link to something. Erica, you say you need the link. You need the link to what? So check out this article from um, AtlantaBlackStar.com. Georgia cop calms nervous white woman during traffic stop by reassuring her that we only shoot black people. So it would have been nice if I know it was, I know it's a different state and a different police department. It'd have been nice if the cop who stopped Sandra Bland gave her some reassurance as opposed to manhandling her and arresting her, dragging her out of the car, arresting her, and then she ends up dead in, in, in the jail. But this is an example of white privilege. This is what this is. This is an example of white privilege. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. So let me see something here. Let me try to pull this up here. Uh, So to register for the class I'm doing Saturday, African American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. Um, I'm going to post a link here for this. It's on 9-2. You can go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com or we're going to post a link here. So the, uh, on, the, the online lecture is only $10. Okay. And it's going to be recorded. You can view it over and over again. All right, so we just posted it there. But you can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's right on the homepage of the website. All right, Adrian, how you doing, Adrian? Shamika, watching from Houston, Texas. So, Shamika, what's going on? How, how are you all doing in Houston? Are you all all right? Did you have to leave? Are you in your house? What's going on in Houston, uh, Shamika? Okay, let's see here. All right, so let's continue here. Okay, so check out that article from um, AtlantaBlackStar.com. It's a crazy, crazy story. I first... uh, saw an article about that early this morning because I had to get up at five this morning. Actually, I got up before five. I actually got up, it was about a quarter to four I got up this morning because um, I was 
pulling together the rest of the content for Steve Hood's show this morning, working on some other things also. And I saw that story from uh, rawstory.com. That was the first uh, news outlet I saw that carried that story. That was early this morning. Uh, and I was like, man, this is crazy. But the, but the real crazy thing is, is that this um, incident took place last year. This took place, this took place July of 2017. What has he done since then? This incident didn't take place last week. It took place a year ago, July of 2017. What has this officer done since then? That's the scary thing. All right. Okay, so um, we know that the – we know we had the um, solar eclipse uh, August 21st, right, Last, last week Tuesday. And August 21st was the anniversary of the Nat Turner Rebellion of 1831. Anniversary of the Nat Turner Rebellion of 1831. Anniversary of the beginning of the Nat Turner Rebellion of 1831. And we know that um, this, uh, a two, uh, there were two solar eclipses that took place, uh, one in February of 1831, and one August 13th of 1831, which were uh, Nat Turner took as signs to start his rebellion. So you have uh, August 21st was the anniversary of the beginning of the Nat Turner Rebellion. And then you have uh, August 22nd and 23rd, which was the beginning of the Haitian Revolution. So last week, August 23rd, was International Day of Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. International Day of Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. Okay. And this was created by uh, the United Nations. Okay. This um, remembrance. National Geographic has an article about this. So does uh, BlackAmericaWeb.com. Uh, this was a little-known black history fact from Black America Web. But on August 23, 1998, the United Nations recognized the International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its abolition. The day commemorates the economic and social roots of the transatlantic slave trade, the largest deportation in history, uh, forced migration, uh, the transatlantic slave trade was a classic example of the triangular trade. And uh, in the first leg of the uh, deadly triangle, uh, triangular trade, uh, wealthy nations and empires of Western Europe, uh, primarily Spain, Portugal, and France, sent ships to Africa to supply uh, local ports and collect slaves. Most people who were enslaved came from Central and Western Africa and were forced into slavery by local dealers employed by uh, European agents. Uh, the second leg of the uh, triangular uh, of the triangle was the harrowing middle passage across the Atlantic Ocean. Slave ships departed uh, from uh, ports on Africa's west coast, uh, such as Angola and Nigeria. 
uh, about one out of every eight slaves died on board um, on, on board cramped ships on the Middle Passage. Slaves were sold at markets throughout the Americas. The sugar plantations and gold mines of Brazil were the leading destination for uh, enslaved Africans. Other slaves worked on sugar plantations and rum factories in the Caribbean. Because one of the things that Columbus was trying to do was to find another source of sugar. Because the Moors introduced sugar into Europe and um, they were trying to find another uh, source of sugar. A lot of the Europeans got hooked on sugar. Okay. Now, the final leg of the triangular trade was com- was completed by ships carrying goods produced by slave labor back to Europe and um, urban areas in North America. Goods including goods included sugar and its products such as rum and syrup, coffee, tobacco, and precious metals such as gold and silver. The date of the International Day of the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its abolition recognizes the slave uprising that started in the French colony of St. Dominique in what is today Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The large and well-organized uprising, better known as the Haitian Revolution, lasted 13 years and ended with the independence uh, with the independent nation of Haiti. In 1888, nearly 85 years later, Brazil became the last nation in the Americas to abolish slavery. So the transatlantic slave trade lasts from 1440 to 1888. 1440 to 1888. 448 years Okay Um, So Check out that article from National Geographic 1998 International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition Uh, Now UNESCO United Nations began uh, This day to commemorate The start of the Uprising of the Haitian Revolution Which uh, called to global attention the horrors of the slave trade and the great cost of life as a result of its practice. The Day of, of Remembrance first took place in Haiti and then was recognized the following year in Senegal. Okay. All right. And check out the article from uh, blackamericaweb.com, blackamericaweb.com, a little known black history fact. Okay, from blackamericaweb.com. All right. Um, let's see. At a, let's see. On Fridays, I do my online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, so I'll be teaching that class uh, on Friday, September 1st, is session number four. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again, okay? Um, so as soon as you register, you can watch sessions one through three, and you'll be ready for session four on Friday. And we have about 20 hours of bonus content there uh, to watch also. All right, and you can register for that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, I want to go to this next story here. 
I'm going to get out of here in a minute. Okay, so I've talked in the past about how Donald Trump is reversing policies that President Obama put in place, right? And we're seeing this, um, this continues. News1.com has an article from August 30th, 2017, August 30th, uh, just yesterday. And this deals with um, black women's unequal pay preserved under Trump reversal of Obama rule. Black women's unequal pay preserved under Trump's reversal of Obama rule. Okay. And one of the things I do with in this lecture I'm doing on Saturday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and high elections have consequences. One of the things I'm doing is, is, is I show how uh, Trump is steadily reversing policies that President Obama had in place. And a lot of these policies were actually beneficial, beneficial for African-Americans, but we didn't even know that these policies existed. So because we didn't know that these policies existed, we didn't know what to fight to maintain. Okay. Because we didn't know these policies existed, we didn't know what to fight to maintain. And this is, uh, this is something that's very, very uh, detrimental. All right. So, Efforts to narrow the wage gap are in peril thanks to uh, Donald Trump's latest move to stall or reverse progress gained under President Obama. Black women with full-time jobs earn 63 cents for every dollar that white men make, according to National Women's, according to the National Women's Law Center. Don't expect that gap to close anytime soon under the current administration. Now, Ivanka Trump talked about how much of a advocate her her father is for equal pay and things like this, right? Haven't seen any evidence of that. Haven't seen any evidence of that. Now, the Hill.com reports that Trump threw out uh, an Obama-era rule that would have required companies to track and report wages paid by gender, race, and ethnicity. Trump just threw out an Obama-era rule that would have required companies to track and report wages paid by gender, race, and ethnicity. Um, Naomi Rayo, who's the administrator of the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, told the Wall Street Journal it is enormously burdensome, enormously burdensome. We don't believe it would actually help us gather information about wage and employment discrimination. So you had um, advocates for equal pay responding on Twitter to this also. Uh, now, President Obama announced uh, this rule back in January of 2016 which would have gone into effect in the spring, okay, of this year. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going into effect. Uh, we're supposed to go into 
effect, I think, spring of this year. But it applied to companies with more than 100 comp, uh, employees. Those um, those data would have the, the data would have been used to uh, enforce equal pay uh, enforce the equal pay law according to NBC News. The data would have been used to uh, enforce the equal pay law. Now, equal pay advocates praised the new requirement from the, uh, President Obama and consider it a significant move toward equality. Robin Muncy, M-U-N-C-Y, said, I think it can have a very galvanizing, uh, conscious-raising effect on people. And she's a woman's studies and history professor at the University of Maryland. Uh, she, she said this to NBC. When she was interviewed. Now, a Pew Research Center study found that African Americans um, in 2015 earned 75% as much as white Americans in me- median hourly earnings. Median hourly earnings. And the median is the point where 50% of the population is below the point, and 50% of the population is above the point. That's the median. Now, uh, so while African-American women have struggled to close the pay gap, white women have made progress. In 1980, white women earned 60 cents for every dollar earned by white men, and they have closed the pay gap in uh, 2015 to 82 cents. So white women earn 82 cents for every $1 that white men earn, and they have been able to make gains to close the pay gap, but African-American women have not. So well-qualified black women face unique obstacles to advance in the workplace. Now, Ellen McGirt of Fortune.com, Fortune Magazine, said exceptional black women are reminded on a daily basis that we may be pretty for a black girl, but not leadership material. Exceptional black women are reminded on a daily basis that we may be pretty for a black girl, but not um, not leadership material. Or that while the bar has been lowered to accommodate us, we're seen as too pushy. Okay. All right, so check out that article from news1.com, Black Women's Unequal Pay uh, Preserved Under Trump Reversal of Obama's Rule. And Trump asked African Americans, what the hell do you have to lose? But since a lot of our people didn't even know that this policy was in place, just like a lot of other policies that Trump is reversing, because a lot of our people didn't even know that these policies were in place, we didn't know that this was something that um, we should fight to maintain. And this deals with understanding how politics impacts every aspect of your life. This deals with understanding how politics impacts every aspect of your life. Um, And you know this is this is extremely extremely important 
All right. So we're going to post information here about the uh, online uh, lecture I'm doing on Saturday, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, uh, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. We're going to post this here on the thread here on Facebook. It's only $10 for that online uh, lecture. And I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation. I think I have a couple of video clips also for that presentation. All right, so in the presentation, I deal with um, uh, one of the things I deal with is how Donald Trump is reversing policies President Obama uh, put in place. And many of these policies were actually beneficial to African Americans, but we didn't even know these policies existed. Uh, I deal with voter suppression and how voter suppression was rampant during the 2016 election cycle, largely due to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 being gutted because of the Supreme Court, the 2013 Supreme Court decision, Shelby County versus Holder. Uh, did you know that there were 868 fewer polling places to vote in uh, in uh, the 2016 election cycle or that? Uh, 14 new states had voter ID laws. 14 new states had uh, voter voter ID laws this past election cycle. There are parallels between the circumstances behind Richard Nixon being elected president as and, and Donald Trump being elected president. Okay, and I, I deal with all this connected dots in the presentation. Also, we talk about. Um, reparations and how elections have consequences how elections have consequences as well okay all right so that is um that's taking place saturday 4 p.m to 6 p.m um african-american resistance in the era of donald trump voter suppression reparations and how elections have consequences um so most people have not seen a presentation like this before that uh, I'm going to do. And you can tune in from around the country. Um, the session will be recorded also, so you can go back and watch it over and over again. All right. Okay. So I want to get to this other story here about uh, J. Marion Sims. Let's see. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. Listen to the African History Network show right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. If you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur who's trying to make do with an office admin, doubling is your accounting department. If you've struggled with bookkeepers who only know data entry and software functionality, but who always seem to make costly mistakes, that go undiscovered until tax time. If you've ever had your CPA find your bookkeeper's reporting to be completely useless for tax filing, if you've ever been disappointed by an accounting bill that seems padded with unnecessary billable hours and you're not even sure what you got for all those hours, or if you're a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes, keep listening. We helped a guy with a cell phone and a truck grow a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service 
into a seven-figure high-end custom home building and commercial contracting company licensed and operating in three states. That's just one example of a tangible transformation new business solutions brought to an entrepreneur with unrealized potential. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting, management, and advisory services, then listen closely. If you're ready for clarifying financial information, industry-specific management advice, and having a partner on your advisory team with a vested interest in helping you grow and achieve your goals, you're in the right place. We specialize in bringing focused clarity to owner-operators through transformative, comprehensive accounting and management advisory solutions. Through reporting analysis, we work with you to recommend and help implement the sales, administrative, staff development, accounting, technology, and operation solutions to help you improve efficiency, create loyal employees, give you back your free time, and help your company grow and become more profitable. Contact us and learn about our revolutionary flat rate pricing model. There's no slow service to justify billable hours, no nickel and diming headaches. And best of all, it's a model completely customized around you and designed to deliver answers and put results in your hands. If you're ready to alleviate the challenges holding right. back your potential, message or call now to schedule your free consultation. The sound is breaking up there. Hopefully I sound all right now. For some reason the sound is breaking up. Don't know why. All right, visit NewBusinessSolutions.com, NewBusinessSolutions.com. Okay, can everybody hear me okay? We should be, uh, we should be good here. Can everybody hear me all right? Those watching on Facebook, can you hear me? All right, so... Um, we posted the link there to uh, register for uh, the online course on Saturday, and we have the uh, information for the um, course I teach on Fridays: Ancient Kemet the Moors, the Ma- uh, Ancient Kemet the Moors, and the Maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Also, so we'll post that link. It's, uh, it's on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, but we'll post a link here on Facebook as well. Okay. So those on those here on Facebook, can can you still can you hear me all right? Okay. So we're gonna continue here and uh get out of here. So just a minute. I'm looking for this uh link to post. All right. So the the debate over the Confederate um, battle flags has continued, right? And it has um, spread to statues of of uh, Christopher Columbus. Uh, Columbus never came to this land we call the United States of America. So I'm not sure why they have statues of Columbus, like here in Detroit and in Baltimore. I don't understand that. Okay, so on the thread here of the broadcast on Facebook, we just posted a link that says register here. Uh, so you can register for the uh, online course. 
So I'm not sure why you have uh, statues of uh, Columbus here at all, because Columbus never came to the land we call the United States of America. The closest he comes here is Cuba, which is 90 miles away. But J. Marion Sims is in the news, okay? And J. Marion Sims is known as the father of modern gynecology, all right? Um, so is the sound still breaking up? Because I sound fine on blog talk. Let me check the microphone here. Okay, how's the sound now? Those on Facebook. How's the audio? Okay, those on Facebook, how do I sound now? Okay, so you have black, uh, members of Black Youth Project 100 who did a protest uh, uh, in front of a statue um, in New York City of J. Marion Sims. And this is a statue um, outside of the New York Academy of Medicine. The New York Academy of Medicine. This was on Saturday, August 19th, the same day that Dick Gregory passed away. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So it sounds good now. Okay, good. All right. So they were protesting against uh, the statue of J. Marion Sims in a uh, Facebook post explaining why they were protesting. They said J. Marion Sims was a gynecologist in the 1800s who purchased black women slaves, purchased black women slaves, and used them as guinea pigs for his untested surgical experiments. He reportedly performed genital surgery on black women without anesthesia because, according to him, black women don't feel pain. Black women don't feel pain. So we talked about this um, uh, last week, and uh, I did a, a podcast, uh, actually this past Sunday, on the African History Network show. We talked about this as well, okay? And so the, uh, you have these group, this group of activists, they want the statue down. Should have never been put up. This dude was a butcher. This guy was a butcher. Uh, he thought the African people were inferior. He bought into these stereotypes of, of African people. So he, 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 uh, there never should have been a statue of this guy put up in the first place. All right. Now you have an article from two days ago from the Washington Post, August 29th. A surgeon experimented on slave women without anesthesia. Now his statues are under attack. A surgeon experimented on slave women without anesthesia. Now his um, now, now his statues are under attack. So this is about J. Marion Sims. And they talk about how the statue... Um, uh, outside the, the statue there in New York City was uh, spray painted uh, on the Central Park Monument uh, and splotches of red uh, paint were used to deface the statue's eyes and neck. This happened this past weekend. The Sims statue in New York City, where he established the first hospital for women in 1855, was vandalized and the word racist was spray painted uh, on the Central Park Monument. Um, and splotches of red paint were used to deface the statue's eyes and neck. So the city of New York is considering whether to remove the statue um, 
and and this was the site of the protest on August 19th from members of Black Youth Project 100. Um, their, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced a 90-day review of, quote-unquote, symbols of hate, symbols of hate on city property, okay? He announced this last week. So the memorial was denounced by uh, New York City Council uh, Speaker Melissa Mark, Melissa Mark Viverito, Melissa Mark Viverito, who described J. Marion Sims' work as, quote, repugnant and reprehensible, repugnant and reprehensible, and a stain on our nation's history, a stain on our nation's history, okay? Um, The New York Academy of Medicine reissued its statement calling for the statue's removal as well. This was after the protest, okay? Um, okay, so it said it's freezing up on Facebook. Uh, hopefully this clears up. Should, should, should be good now on Facebook. Now, J. Marion Sims practiced medicine in Alabama from 1835 to 1849 before moving to New York. And he invented the speculum and other uh, instruments still in use today for for, uh, gynecology, okay? He pioneered surgery for fistula, a condition that left women incontinent after uh, giving birth. Historians say the uh, treatment revolutionized the field of gynecology. He also performed the first successful gallbladder surgery and the first successful artificial insemination. Okay, but to make uh, those advances, J. Marion Sims performed performed experimental surgeries on enslaved African women, raising disturbing ethical questions. His legacy has long been questioned by those who believe he used black women as medical guinea pigs without their consent. Protesters have uh, demanded removal of a monument to J. Marion Marion Sims on the Capitol grounds of Columbia, South Carolina, the state where uh, Sims was born, okay? And let's see, in the article from Huffington Post Black Voices, so read the article from Huffington Post Black Voices. This was like the first article. August 19, 2017, why black women are protesting a statue of this famed gynecologist. Why black women are protesting a statue of this famed gynecologist, okay? Um, because he did surgeries on multiple um, women, sometimes as many as 20 surgeries on one woman. And I was reading an article earlier today. About Sam. Oh, it was another article I was reading about Sam's that talked about about him as well. Uh, I think it was from Slate.com or something like that. But this guy is somebody who definitely should not have a statue, definitely should not be honored. Okay. He's known as the father of modern gynecology, but this guy was a butcher. In his autobiography, J. Marion Sims described surgeries performed on enslaved uh, patients, including Anarcha, Lucy, and Betsy. Anarcha, Lucy, and Betsy. 
Sims wrote that he made a, quote, proposition to owners of Negroes. If you will give me an Arca and Betsy for experiment, I agree to perform no experiment or operation on either of them to endanger their lives and will not charge a cent for keeping them. But you must pay their taxes and clothe them. I will keep them at my own expense. He wrote that he was very enthusiastic and expected to cure them within six months. Anarcha was described as a mulatto girl, about 14 years old. Lucy was described as about 18 years old and had given birth to a child two months ago. Uh, and, that, and that since that time, she had been unable to hold any water. She was incontinent. Lucy's bladder was destroyed, quote, leaving an opening between the vagina and the bladder at least two inches in diameter or more, end quote, J. Marion Sims wrote. Quote, that was before the days of uh, anesthetics, and the poor girl on her knees bore the operation with great heroism and bravery. This is what he wrote. I had about a dozen doctors there to witness the series of experiments that I expected to perform. All the doctors had seen my notes, uh, had seen my notes often and examined them and agreed I was uh, on the eve of of a great discovery and every one of them was interested in seeing me operate, end quote. So he was performing surgeries on these enslaved African women without anesthesia. Okay, this is—I mean, this is this is horrific. What African women went through. This is one of the reasons why African Americans historically had uh, an aversion to doctors because experiments were performed on us during slavery. Okay. And even to this day, you have some medical students who think that African-Americans have a higher pain tolerance. Even to this day, you have some medical students who think that African-Americans have a higher pain tolerance. There was an article from blackdoctor.org about this. And uh, from September 2016, blackdoctor.org. But there was also an article from um, AtlantaBlackStar.com about uh, this as well. I think I have the article here from AtlantaBlackStar.com because I just saw it. Um, Let's see here. article from atlantablackstar.com it was from I think April of uh, 2016 alright I may not be able to find it but I wonder where I put that article But check out this article from um, blackdoctor.org. I'll pull this up here. Uh, 
pull this up here in just a minute. Not sure where that article from LandaBlackStar.com um, went, but I'll give you the name of the one. There was a study done recently that looked at uh, medical students' perceptions of. Um, hey, here we go. This is the one from um, AtlantaBlackStar.com. Study. White medical students hold outrageous theories about black biology explaining why black patients are undertreated for pain. White medical students hold outrageous theories about black biology explaining why black patients are undertreated for pain. Okay. And what this deals with is how stereotypes have um, how stereotypes survive throughout time and then people who are in the medical profession hold some of these stereotypes so this deal this influences how they treat patients this influences how they treat patients let's see okay so once again, this article from AtlantaBlackStar.com, AtlantaBlackStar.com. This is from uh, April 5th, 2016. Uh, white medical students hold outrageous theories about black biology, explaining why black patients are undertreated for pain. Okay. So we'll post this here on the thread of the broadcast also. here on uh, Facebook. We'll post the link there. All right, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a lot of information there for you. Uh, All of my uh, DVD lectures are there. I have about 35 of my DVD presentations there, 30 or 35 of them. And we have uh, documentaries there. We have the uh, Black Friday documentaries dealing with economic empowerment for African-Americans. You see me wearing my Black Friday shirt. I'm in both of the Black Friday documentaries. Elementary Genocide Part 3 just came out uh, August 22nd. So the the, um, DVD's just been available here in the past couple of days. Elementary Genocide Part 3, Academic Holocaust. I'm featured in his documentary, Shahrazad Ali, Professor Kaba Kamane, Professor James Small, Dr. Boyce Watkins. This deals with uh, educating African-American children, deals with the school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, it's a lot of information in there, academic holocaust. Okay, so that documentary is only $20. For each, um, one, each one of the documentaries you purchase, you get one of my DVD presentations free. And we have the... Um, you have a bundle pack. You get all three installments of Elementary Genocide for uh, $50, regularly 60 and you get three of my presentations free also. All right, so um, remember this Saturday I'm doing the uh, online uh, lecture also, African-American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, Voter Suppression, Reparations, and High Elections Have Consequences, African-American Resistance, 
in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences. All that information is at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register there, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And uh, we'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast here on Facebook also. Okay, look, we got to get out of here. Hey, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. Not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Yeah. Turn up the headphones just a little bit. The world is changing.